Jungle Podcast is raw, it's real, it has zero gimmicks, zero bullshit, and absolutely zero fucks to give. Welcome to the Iron Jungle. This is real, no bullshit, no holds barred, wide fucking open podcast. We've been at this far too long to be fucking around. This is the jungle. Where anything goes, no holds barred. We're going to be talking about the real shit. How to succeed. In a world where you have goals, but there's so much misinformation and bullshit trying to sell you something. This is the informative podcast. And there's no hope behind the jungle. The question is, are you ready? Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the iron jungle. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside the Iron Jungle Podcast, fresh off the boat. Plane back in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Drew and I try to connect um, to actually do a podcast in Florida, but we were too busy training, clanging, and banging. Um, so we'll, we'll do it the uh, the way that we normally do it, right here via Skype. Drewski, how you doing, bud? I'm good, my friend. I haven't seen you in what three, two days now. Two Something days? like that. You look at you look. I've seen you in two days. Yeah. Yeah, but when I see you in person, you don't look so, nearly as sophisticated because you're not wearing those dope ass glasses. No, and, and your back is all sweaty and your legs are all swell. Listen, for those listening, Drew put me through a leg day on Friday at, his, uh, at one of his main man gyms, the Miami Iron Gym, and it was epic. It was epic. It was the place that you proposed to your beautiful fiancé. Uh, great gym, great time in South Beach, Florida. Um, can't wait to come back again. This year I'm prepped now, so it'll be, it'll be good stuff to see the gorilla back on stage very soon. Absolutely. I'm excited, man. Bro, like, I don't even, I don't think it's just prep alone. Normally I'm good until like farther out. And I have ways to go. I woke up this morning. I think I'm like a little bit sick. I, I, I was good when we got there, but then like midday, like my, I just fucking ache. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I just, dude, I, just dude I, I, I came back from Florida sick. Cause I don't know what the hell's going on with me. I, I was just, must be, must be maybe the gym. Maybe we, we got something at that fucking gym. And, uh, we got the bat virus. Today's topic is a topic um, that a lot of people have been asking us to kind of address in terms of a lot of people refer to quote unquote transformations in their life as a bulking or a cutting cycle. Um, what they go through iterations of bulking, then followed by cutting, et cetera. Or maybe it might be a, a maintenance or a recomp stage. But Drew and I want to dive into not just what supplements you need to take. When it comes to bulking or cutting, because supplements are not the the meat and potatoes of a bulking or a cutting plan. All right, the the meat and potatoes of a bulking or cutting plan is going to be meat and potatoes, like your foods and your training your training regimen. So we're going to talk about it kind of in two separate things here. It's like what type of nutrition do you want when you're bulking, along with supplementation, and what type of nutrition do you want when you're cutting, also along with supplementation. So we're still in winter months here. A lot of people bulk in the winter because hey. At least in Minnesota, you can't take your shirt off until at least May. So bulking in the winter is not a bad thing here because then people can't see that you're potentially lacking abs. But a common misconception, I think, when it comes to bulking and cutting is the caloric surplus or deficit and how big that needs to be. And um, you are a, a man who does a ton of nutrition plans for people. Do you have a rule of thumb in terms of how big of a caloric surplus you provide people when they want to do a bulking phase of their journey? And that only comes down to the person. Typically, no matter what anybody's goal is, the first thing I do is establish a baseline because there's one way of going about it. If I look at somebody's numbers, I'm sure this has happened on the forum page, whatever, you look at it and you're like, hey, okay, those numbers don't look a little low or okay, those numbers look really high. You know, most times on the low side, people are usually under eat um, yeah. or they, they overestimate exactly how many calories they're eating. So with that being said, there's there's certain equations you can use. The Harris Benedict is one. The BMR you can kind of use their uh, just anthropometric measures 
is their body stats, you know, height, age, weight, sex, activity level, so on and so forth, to get a rough number of where they should be and what's where they're based on. But then too, if somebody's been under eating for months on end or whatever it is, their metabolism, if you increased even that maintenance level, they're not gonna react very well. So right. it's kind of starting a point, just get a diet recall. Like, okay, where are you at? If it's not even close, like, okay, well, here's where I'm gonna start you at. Let's see how your body reacts based on these numbers. So if it's somebody, no matter what it is, cutting bulk, I just kind of figure out where their metabolism to start with. Now, if you're focusing more on somebody who's looking to add some lean muscle mass, there isn't a huge amount of calories like needed. You don't need this massive thousand calorie surplus. You don't have to drink weight gainers, all this crap. Even if you increase your calories by say 250 to 300 above your maintenance phase, it's a good number to start with in terms of accruing nice lean muscle tissue. Because the underlying thing is maybe like throwing the, you know, the whole episode out, like, oh, the cheat sheet is let's be real. Even if you're enhanced, you can only gain muscle at a certain rate, mm -hmm. okay? A good example of this, I think, top us in a, a competing episode is like, okay, you know, somebody they compete at 200, they bulk up to 260. Next year they compete again, they diet down, they get ready to step on stage, then we in at 202. You put on 60 pounds to gain two pounds of actual muscle. Yeah. Put that back. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think I want to talk about it too because there's a lot of macro calculators online, including us at FI have one where it's going to shoot out a number for you. And I think one thing to keep in in mind, especially if you're current caloric intake is significantly low and uh, most people are eating less than what they're supposed to be to begin with don't jump to that that number right away to that ideal number that you know a macro calorie spits out to you don't do that overnight because if that's an additional thousand calories a day what do you think is going to happen or even even you know 500 calories extra you want to work your way up to it so drew mentioned 200 300 calories um extra you probably could safely get to that pretty quickly but you definitely don't want to just jump into it because your metabolism doesn't know what the fuck is going on it, it doesn't adjust that quickly so how quickly if you if you run a plan for somebody and say your caloric surplus over your basal metabolic rate or over your total daily energy expenditure rate is 300 calories more do you have them start that right away or do you have them take a week or two to get to that ideal point i accustom into it gradually i mean if somebody's pretty much on point okay we can start that surplus and adjust it from there like okay if i'm at this amount of calories and i've been maintaining weight like sometimes good best case scenario they've been following a certain diet but it's not gaining or losing okay then we know what numbers we're at and i can make adjustments from there but you know, I wouldn't just pick a number and a number without any background information, throw them on a plan and see how they react. Sometimes you have to. If they like, oh, I, I kid you not, I had, believe it or not, this one ex back in Nebraska. She's going to do her first show. And it's like, oh, I, got, I, I need help with my diet. I'm like, okay. And this is like three weeks out by the time I look at it. And like, I was like, okay, send, send me what your diet is. You know, right. this is like very early stages of talking or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, I eat typically a shake in the morning. And then lunch, I usually have a sandwich or something like that. In the afternoon, I snack on gummy bears, and at supper, I have whatever my family's having. I'm like, so you're doing a contest prep, and that's your diet. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, it's, it all depends on the individual versus, hey, I've had a set meal plan. I was not gaining or growing or losing. Then we have something to work with. Sure. Fuck, I've seen some disasters. Yeah, I mean, so I think another thing here, when we talk about nutrition when it comes to bulking, I don't think nutrition changes very much between bulking and diet or bulking and cutting in terms of types of foods you can eat. Uh, there's, a, there's like a meme that out there where it says, this is the foods you eat when you're bulking. These are the foods you eat when you're cutting. They're the same. You know, Drew's not going to tell you right now when you're cutting, eat brown rice. When you're bulking, eat white rice. That's one of the biggest lines of bullshit I've ever heard in fitness to begin with anyway. I mean, it's like brown rice for cutting, white rice for bulking. Why? 
and we've covered the rice conversation on this podcast numerous times before. Um, the main thing is when you're bulking is obviously you want to get to that caloric surplus. You have a surplus of calories coming into your diet on a daily basis. Now, the types of foods in which you fill that caloric surplus, in, it is important. Uh, I don't think Drew's going to have pizza in your diet per se, but um, let's talk about when it comes to bulking, how important is meal timing, Drew? And this is cutting as well. Honestly, I think that meal timing is more so what is convenient for you. The main thing to focus on is not so much eating, oh, I need to eat every two hours, every three hours, whatever, to maintain my metabolism stoked. That's not supported by science. The key with this is spacing out meals to give your body adequate time to digest it, but also in cases like that to fuel your performance. I'm not right. so much concerned about, oh, stoking metabolism. I prefer to eat multiple meals for the day. I typically eat six times one in an off season. It spaces my food out because the volume of food that I'm eating is just a lot. So I need time to digest it and break it down. I can't eat that in four meals, whatever it is. I need more just to space it out. Right. The other part, too, is if you're cutting, I like spacing out having more meals because it feels like I get to eat more frequently because it spaces it out. That's personal preference, you know? Right. So that's something to consider. Um, the big thing I am big on is pair work on nutrition. So if you have X amount of carbohydrates, one thing I feel that people should take advantage of is using that to have the insulin response. So if you're yeah. training, say, at night, it doesn't make any sense to have the majority of your carbohydrates first thing in the morning. People get this idea flawed because they're like, oh, I can't eat carbs at night. I'll get fat or oh, like carbs magically turn to fat after 6 p.m. That's not the case. Right. Eat for what you're doing at that time of the day. If you're training at night, okay, have like typically I'll do like say protein, fats, and greens in the first couple of meals. Then if I have however many carbs, okay, start working those in. Like say maybe by my third or fourth meal, if I have lower carbs, okay, then I start adding in carbs. And then pre-training meal is proteins, carbs, and a moderate amount of fat to keep blood glucose levels stable and keep the digestion nice and smooth. And have a sometimes if it's a big amount of carbs, have some carbs intra-training, such as cyclodextrin, and then have carbs and protein following my workout. So if you have to have carbs, the best time of the day to eat them would be pre, intra, and post-workout. Take advantage of that insulin response. It's mm -hmm. very hard for your body to store body fat when it's in a catabolic state, when it is breaking down in a recovery period. So don't worry so much about the time of the day. Worry about what you're doing at that time. If you train in the morning, then have your carbs in the morning, taper them down throughout the day. Whenever your energy demand is highest, that's when you have your carbs. That goes for both cutting or bulking. Right. 100%. I, I've, I've used that advice for a lot of people. You know, there are people who have a certain amount of carbs. You know, they're, they're saying, well, I have a limited amount of carbs in my diet. Say they're, they're cutting and they want to spread them throughout the day. It's like, well, you, kinda, you should really bunch those around your workout window, honestly. Like if, if you have to sacrifice carbs with dinner, to put into your around your workout period, it's going to be more beneficial for you at that point. So um, you mentioned a couple different things there in terms of like carbohydrates right away. Let's talk about carbs in terms of bulking because typically when you're bulking or you're you're in a bulking cycle, the one macronutrient that's probably going to raise more so than the other two would be your carbohydrates. And um, speaking from experience, like my diet on on off season bulking was at three nine hundred almost four thousand calories, and I was eating like five hundred to six hundred grams of carbs a day. So for me, when it comes down to supplementation, a, a cyclic dextrin supplement was extremely important for me because it was very hard to eat that much in carbs. Um, so a lot of people were like, what are the best supplements to take when bulking? I guess at the end of the day, it really comes down to like, what are, what's your, your macro breakdown? And is, does, A, does carbs fit into that? Do you need that? But there are other supplements that can help. Let's talk about carbs. Just We'll start there, and then I want to talk about weight gainers because that one we could talk about probably a whole episode on. So carbs. Is a carbohydrate supplement recommended for a bulking cycle? It all depends on your total carb amount. Sometimes it may not be necessary at the beginning, but then if you get up there and, like I said, you're packing like 
350, 400, whatever your appetite is, more grams of carbs and can't get them in, I definitely think that they'll be beneficial during your workout. The idea is to have things that don't upset your stomach. So mm -hmm. things like dextrose, um, all waxy maize, all maltodextrin especially. It's not ideal. It's going to sit in your stomach like a brick. It's going to form a bolus. It's going to spike your insulin. It's not going to have a good effect. Plus, it also might affect your get your um, GI system. might cause your stomach upset. Cyclic dextrin, or carb 10, or palatinose, or three carbohydrates that have low osmolality. What that means is that you're, when they're ingested in the stomach, the stomach senses they don't need to be broken down farther. They're allowed to pass into the small intestine and start being absorbed and digested. With a high osmolality, whether it be maltodextrin, dextrose, so on and so forth, yes, they have a high glycemic response, but also the stomach senses that they need to be broken down, traps them in the stomach, and then you just have this bolus of carbohydrates sitting in your stomach. You're bloated, gassy, it's gonna pass all at once, and boom, have your insulin spike, and it causes a crash. This is not an ideal situation. So for a bulking phase or even cutting with higher carbs, I think it's beneficial. Carbs in general, um, some of my go-to staples, dependence on who it is, and I, the carbohydrates, in my opinion, should be easy digestible. Um, non uh, very hypoallergenic because that way you're, you're having no issues digesting them and keeping the digestive system happy because it doesn't matter if you're how much you're eating if you can't absorb it. Mm -hmm. Jasmine rice is fucking fantastic. That's my go-to carb. It's very carb dense. You can get a lot of it. Cream of rice is a very carb dense product as well um, for post-workout training, even pre-workout training. Things like plain rice krispies or rice checks are things that I'll put in my diet or others. Um, more starchy things like with a little more fiber, things like regular white potatoes, like you know, red, yellow, doesn't matter, or sweet potato. Um, things like uh, quinoa, or, or some people like to do that. But the downside of things that are very um, fiber heavy, maybe very nutrient dense, but good luck eating three, four hundred grams of carbs a day from things like sweet potato. You're going to feel that every bit of that fibrous is going to sit in you. So, in that case, having something that's quicker digested, easy to break down, is advantageous to get mm -hmm. the calories. If somebody wants to do an, somebody wants to do an experiment <clears throat> at home, do this: take uh, eat, or digest or, or consume, say, seventy-five grams of carbs from jasmine rice, and then try to do seventy-five grams of carbs from potatoes once. It is a massive amount of potatoes compared to the rice. I mean, it's a, it's very difficult to eat it. Now, I like to include potatoes in my diet every now and then, but it's it's not like an apple to apple thing. There is a lot of potatoes to get to what you get in rice. And to Drew's point, um, you're gonna feel full of shit. From all the potatoes at at some point. Um, all right, let's talk about gainers, weight gainers, mass gainers. People ask all the time, trying to bulk up, Drew. Trying to bulk up, Ryan. What weight gainer, what mass gainer do you recommend? I cringe when I hear that, Drew. I cringe because a one, yeah. a lot of the mass gainers are shit. Um, but b, it's like why? What 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 is steering you in the direction? Because it's called a mass gainer. Is that why people are are turning to it? Now eat real food, bro. And as, I'm gonna answer every question ever from now on that answer. Eat real food, bro. Eat what real food, use? Eat bro. Mass gainers I use. Eat real food. What's use for dieting? Eat real food. Yeah. My dog. Died. Eat real food. Like fuck, man. That's a, it's it's plaguing the internet. So now back to questions. Mass gainers. They have their place, but I honestly would never recommend, like hardly ever, that you need to buy a pre-made weight gainer. In general, mass gainer, weight gainer, interchangeable. It's nothing but protein and maltodextrin. Large amount of carbohydrates and protein, it's calories, okay? Pro tip, get a regular protein, whatever you enjoy. Get some oatmeal, peanut butter is needed, almond milk, coconut, whatever kind of milk you want to use. I'm not a big fan of regular milk because a lactose issue causes yeah. issues in people. Measure it out. Say you have a half cup of 
oops, two scoops of protein um, and like a tablespoon of peanut butter. You can customize exactly how many calories you want. It's going to taste better. It's 50 times more cost effective than a pre-made weight gainer. And it's going to get you your own customizable solution if you need liquid calories. For some people, you know, like I got these guys that are like 170, 180 pounds and their metabolisms are crazy. They're already at 3,500, 4,000 calories. They can't eat anymore. Okay, in that case, like a weight gainer or like a liquid form can be beneficial for them to help them get their calories in. Right. Well, yeah, you just mentioned that um, a lot of the weight gainers and mass gainers on the market are a whey protein of some sort and maltodextrin. Like, that's the true reality of the situation. Most of them, I mean, aren't, aren't great. Now, there are a couple of decent ones out there that are fine, a little bit more expensive. Um, ones now contain MCTs and some, some healthy fats to them. But in general, to Drew's point, make your own, man. Like, seriously, it's, it's not that hard. Um, and it's more economical as well. I mean, typically, when you buy a weight gainer, you have to take like six fucking scoops of the thing for, for one serving or whatever it is. And by the, by the time you're done with it, the bag is gone after 10 days and you just spend 50 bucks on a weight gainer or whatever it might be. Um, creatine, I think, is another one people talk about when it comes to bulking. Like for me, creatine should be taken whether you're bulking or cutting. Uh, I think creatine should be a daily supplementation. I'm a big fan of monohydrate because I have no issues with it. Now, Drew, you obviously, I think you formulated products in the past with creatine HCL, um, creatine MagnaPower, things like that. I mean, do you have a preference on creatine and, or, or what people should be looking for? Honestly, I completely find creatine monohydrate is a gold standard when it comes to uh, creatine supplementation. And literally every single research study ever is done on creatine monohydrate. It's awesome, it's tried, it's true, it's cost-effective, and it kicks ass. Hydrochloride is a good ingredient as well. It's in theory, it doesn't take as much and absorb a little bit better. I don't personally think there's a huge difference. Sometimes it's a matter of a space issue in a product. Sometimes it's like, you know, label claim, things like that. It's a good ingredient, but there's nothing magic about it. If you're, oh, creatine hydrochloride or monohydrate, like, yeah, pick one that you like, right. you know? That's all I always say that, but creatine's beneficial whether you're or cutting. Cutting-wise, like, oh, it's not making me fat. Creatine doesn't make you fat. If anything, if you're not getting enough water, you may look a little softer. Up your water intake, it won't be a problem. Put it this way. If you have abs and start taking creatine, you're not going to lose your abs. Right. Yeah. 100%. Let's talk about the big one, the big, the big two, actually. When it comes to bulking, people are scared shitless to go on um, anabolic steroids, and they, I don't condone or recommend people do that. Obviously, if somebody wants to do it, they should do it with an educated mindset. I have no problem if people do it but I'm not going to tell people that they should be popping on it. So then what they do is they go to SARMs and pro-hormones, two of Drew's favorite topics in the world. Um, and there are several brands out there that are still producing, quote-unquote, pro-hormones. They're not, they're not what they were back in, like, 2003, and those things were not pro-hormones. They were basically oral steroids. Um, and then the SARMs issue. So let's, let's address them both individually. First off, SARMs, um, my, my quick answer to everybody is no. Just don't do them. Stay away from them for one. Most times it's not an actual SARM. You don't even know what the fuck you're getting inside that bottle. You might actually be taking liquid testosterone, and that is something that you don't want to be doing, uh, or a capsule version of testosterone. Um, and, and the thing is, Drew, everyone said, well, the research shows that they're safer than anabolic steroids, that they don't, that they're, um, you know, they're selective to, to certain aspects. They're not going to increase your heart and increase your prostate and all these things. You've talked about this at length before, I think, on your social channels. Like, do a, do a quick synopsis on SARMs and, and why people probably should stay the fuck away from them, for the most part. Everybody thinks they can have their cake and eat it, too. They can take an anabolic substance that increases lean muscle mass, helps them lose body fat, helps them maintain lean muscle during a cut. And have no side effects. The thing about it, they are a research chemical. They've never been approved for use. They're originally developed for people with muscle wasting diseases, you know, like cancer, AIDS, so on and so forth, as a medical thing. And it never got past a certain point when it comes to the FDA for trials. And that's because there's a lot of issues with them. Like some of the old school ones, they have, if people have issues with night vision or 
uh, hepatotoxicity in terms of like being toxic to the body. I don't care what people say, they are gonna shut you down if you run them high enough. They're not everything that they're painted out to be. The other main issue too, one of, if, if that's your issue, you think they're safer, that's not the case. There's a lot of unknowns. I'm not saying that you know gear is side effect free because it's not, but honestly, you're better off, in my opinion, if you choose to go that route using the real thing, because chances are it's going to be real. A lot of the SARMs out there are fake. And my big issue with it is people are selling SARMs just like they're used to sell pro hormones. They're selling them as dietary supplements, okay? And that's what this, I'm like, bro, it's not a fucking dietary supplement. It's a chemical. It's a, it's a fucking research chemical. It's not right. meant to live capsules. It, it's shady as fuck. And people like get this issue where, oh, I'm taking something that's completely fine. It's sold over the counter as a supplement. Steroids are bad. I have to inject it and I have to buy that from my guy at the gym. Like, everybody has this magical little world. That's not the case, you know? Yeah. And to your point, pro hormones technically weren't, they were the steroid precursors, the way I described them. Yeah. They aren't technically a steroid, but they undergo a one to two step conversion into a steroid when ingested in the body. And that's why a lot of them are methylated. They had issues with people getting jaundice, kidney failure, so on and so forth, because they are a designer anabolic steroid. Right. And, uh, and, and there is the, 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 I don't remember the actual act, but like, um, pro hormones, the ones from back then are, are basically banned. Like they, they're not allowed to be sold today. So the pro hormones you buy today, I mean, they are a little bit different. I actually, honestly, God, when people ask me about pro hormones now, I'm pretty stupid when it comes to it because I just don't look into them anymore. I mean, I probably should take some time to look into them a little bit more. I don't use them. I don't recommend people use them, but I know there are certain brands out there that are in existence today because they still sell you know, like a, a type of a like pro hormone that people, and they sell them for like 70, 80 bucks. You know, this really. based. Like the DHEA is, you know, different metabolite. It's they convert into testosterone or estrogen, different different types of DHEA. It is just legal to sell. You can buy DHEA, the regular compound at freaking Walmart, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You know, it's a hormone precursor. So, you know, different ones, different effects. Sometimes they'll put things like remistane in there, an over the counter estrogen control thing to have that effect. But they're just not, they don't convert as well. They're not as strong, they're not as potent. They do carry their own. You know, potential risk for shutdown because you are providing a synthetic substance, but they're just a less potent version of the HEA, basically. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make when it comes to cutting, Drew, and, and you probably see this all the time too or hear about this all the time, is what they do is they essentially stop eating and they increase the fuck out of their cardio. And what they're doing is they are completely fucking up their system. And so give us a little uh, public service announcement from you, from a man who's been in this industry and in the fitness world for a long time. Those who think that you need to just basically stop eating and increase your cardio to cut, you say what? Here's the thing. As people get carried away, they want quick results. They want to see a quick drop on the scale. They want to be done with cutting because let's be real. Cutting fucking sucks. So the thing is, too, whenever you have whatever your goal is, say cutting, if you have X amount of calories, say we start at 3,000 calories, right? Okay. Starting out, if they haven't done any cardio, whatever, I typically will put them on, say, do 20 minutes of cardio, like, say, you know, four to five times a week, depending on the individual, how fat they are, and also just how long they have, if they have a goal in mind, like, oh, I have a show in 16 weeks. Those are factors to consider. But, you know, adding a little bit of cardio, give them a gradual calorie decrease, say they're 3,000, maybe drop them down to 3,800 in combination with the cardio, and see how they respond. If they have a drop, okay, like um, a good rate of loss is anywhere from one to two pounds a week. I mean, I preferably like anywhere, but one to one and a half is good because it makes sure that you're maintaining lean muscle mass. Right. Dropping more than that, okay, it can happen. It could be some water as well, but you don't want to have these massive drops. One, is not sustainable. Two, you're probably losing muscle. You're under eating. And three, you could be eating more or doing less cardio to keep maintaining lean muscle. So what happens is you start out the gate doing like, okay, this massive calorie reduction. You go from 3,000 calories to 2,000 calories. You add in 45 minutes of cardio a day. Okay, you progress through the week. You drop some weight. Boom, you drop some weight next week, so on and so forth. Eventually, your body loves to adapt to things. Mm. It likes homeostasis. It's going to catch up to you. 
okay, I'm used to doing this amount of cardio. I'm used to this many calories. I'm good. I'm not going to lose any more fat because one, the fat is a survival mechanism. Yeah. Okay. So if you're doing this, if you're adding cardio at the same time and all this cardio and cutting calories, essentially the way I put this, you're burning the candle at both ends. Right. Because when your body stalls, either A, you need to increase the amount of cardio and physical activity you're doing, or B, you need to cut back on your calorie intake. If you get to a certain point where you're eating 1600 calories and doing an hour of cardio, and you have, say, six weeks of dieting left, you're not as lean as you need to be or whatever it is, where are you going to go? Are you going to do an hour, 15 minutes? Are you going to eat 1,200 calories a day? You know, you run, you kind of run out of out of, out of the ground, and it's not going to be fun. Also, having your body that low for that long, you're probably going to start losing some muscle mass. You're going to wreck your metabolism temporarily. Metabolic damage is another topic. I think that's been largely disproven um, over time. There's extreme studies on that with, a, like, a... I can't remember what it was, like a, like a prisoner camp or whatever, where they had these extremely hypocalorie deficit diets of people for months upon months, and their bodies returned to normal metabolism. So I think that's bullshit. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes you start fucking with hormones, that could be another story. Yeah. But um, the key is you don't want to burn the candle at both ends. Ease into it and have a maintainable deficit as well as amount of cardio, and then as needed, increase one or the other gradually. And that's my best advice. Don't burn the candle at both ends. What about, we talked about carbohydrates excessively on bulking. Carbs seem like the first thing to go on the cutting stage. Carbs are bad. Carbs are the devil. Um, it's Again, it kind of comes down to what your macronutrient output is, right? Like, I mean, if you're still going to need to take car- carbohydrates in, take carbohydrates in. Don't just necessarily think, hey, I need to lose body fat, so I should stop eating carbs. I think that's the dumbest fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. Agreed. Honestly, I'd cut fats before I cut carbohydrates, and that honestly, um, it just depends on the person, too. Some people, like myself... I respond better to high protein, higher carbohydrates, and lower fats when I start dieting. Okay, then I keep my protein high and I start trimming gradually with carbohydrates, higher days, lower days, and then I'll add in like a refeed day to spike my metabolism with like a big fill up or whatever. But that's personal works best for me. Some people work better by just keeping their fats a little bit higher and start with lower carbohydrates. Everybody has a program in their head like, oh, I, I, I respond best to low carbs. Okay, why? Oh, I lost like a bunch of weight and I really quickly. Okay, when they reduced their carbohydrates in half, they dropped all this water, this muscle glycogen on a scale, they saw a drop of five or six pounds. That doesn't mean you respond well to fucking low carb. That just mm-hmm. means you had that response. Okay, what was your long-term outcome? It's the same thing with keto. This isn't a bash against keto. Fuck your keto. But when people go on ketosis, they like it because they have this massive drop in body weight right away because they're not replenishing glycogen at all. They're dropping all this water. They're dropping all the muscle glycogen, and that's why there's this drastic weight loss. They think inherently it works faster, but if you get your body fat tested, the, the results are not going to indicate that it worked any more effectively than a, another type of diet that is in an equal amount of calorie deficit. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that. Um, and there's a many, there's many diets that are designed for cutting that essentially just cut out one macronutrient group. Of course, you're going to lose fucking weight when you cut out a macronutrient group completely, whether it's fats or carbs, or even you cut your protein in half, whatever it might be. That's why I think with keto, right? Like lower protein, lower carbs, higher fats. Well, I mean, when you look at what, how many calories you're taking out from the protein and the carbs, and then you you look at how many you're adding back in with the fats, you're still going to you're still in the caloric deficit from the keto. From keto, and then um, so there's a lot that goes into that. So for like the last five minutes of this podcast, Drew, people are probably like, "What supplement can I take to help me lose fat?" Listen, there's no fucking magic pill. If I if I take anything from Arnold, it's that. There's no magic pill. But the one supplement category that is still booming today and booms every day, and it's one of the most. I'm not going to call it a worthless category. I'm not going to go as far as saying that, but a lot of the supplements within the category are fucking worthless, and that's a fat burner category, which is. 
Ah, uh, man. It's just, it, it's, it's done by so many brands, and so many brands do like a capsule formula, and so therefore it can't get the dosing correctly where it needs to be. And, um, you know, within our field, we have the powdered versions of, of fat burners, which shows some potential. But fat burners overall, like by taking a fat burner, does not mean you're going to lose body fat or, or weight. You have to use it in conjunction as a supplement to something else. But you're take, you've, you've, you've made fat burners before, Drew. Like, what's your personal preference on them, and do you recommend them to people? Oh, so I'll start at the top. The purpose of a fat burner, I hate the word fat burner because people think they take it, it means, oh, I take this, I burn fat. Yeah. Now, fat burners work. I like the term thermogenics better. The point of them is they help increase your core temperature of your body. That means it helps your body burn more calories and burn more calories more efficiently. Right. So starting at the top, I do think they have their place. If they have stimulants in them, when you're dieting, if you're feeling foggy or tired, they can help you feel better mentally, more mentally focused, help you get through a cut. There's certain things you can take. Um, once again, there's really iffy in terms of FDA claims. So I'm not going to go there. But like, they're helping suppress your appetite. Yeah. And you're not even allowed to say that in marketing. So right. let's cover some of the popular ones, some that are very, I think, misconstrued. And then we'll talk about a few you think are beneficial. So one that you hear a lot about, everybody assumes that carnitine, carnitine, carnitine. Mm-hmm. And people take this, oh, it's a stimulant-free fat burner. And I understand how carnitine works. Essentially what it does is it helps transport fatty acids into the cell of the mitochondria to be burned as energy. People hear the word fatty acids, oh, to be burned, and they think, oh, it's burning body fat. Not necessarily. It helps basically transport fatty acids as an energy source, whatever's converted into your body, but it's not inherently going to make make me a fat burner. Honestly, it works better in the presence of carbohydrates, which is going to fly in the face of what most people think about it. Mm. Does it have its place? Yes. There's some cool things about carnitine, but it's not inherently a fat burner. Another one you see is, uh, oh, crap. I mean, there's more something. Real quick, Drew, let me, let me dive in on carnitine, too. So all the carnitine supplements that we use in the market today are oral supplements. A lot of times they're, they're puttered forms or there's a liquid form of carnitine. Um, there's also, I mean, for those who are interested, I, I'm not you know, recommend this, but there is an injectable form of carnitine as well, uh, which is going to be 100 times more effective than, than your oral version of carnitine. Um, so that does exist too. But again, the, the premise of carnitine doesn't change whether it's injectable or consumed orally. Like what Drew just discussed is the same thing. Now, with a, does an injectable version uh, of carnitine work better than oral? Yes. Yes, it will. Um, but it's, you know, again, that's, now it's an injectable and then you have to buy it from like a, from a veterinarian clinic because it's used for horses and shit like that. But again, they're, they're, those do exist as well. Um, another one, I'll, I'll throw one out, Drew, for you here. Um, you, you see when it comes to, um, you know, fat burners, you mentioned carnitine being one of the most popular ones. Another one, too, I'm just going to say it, it, it's CLA, right? Um, CLA is still popular. CLA tablets are, well, and they make, sometimes you hear the companies make weird claims. I'm not even sure if they're legally supposed to be making them, but like CLA is not a fat burner. I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially, in my opinion, it's damn near worthless. From the data I've seen on it, it can help maintain lean muscle mass and help improve body composition over time. It just takes a long time for it to work. Is more so helping preserve lean muscle tissue, and it also takes a fuck ton of it. I think it's like what three to four grams. A yeah, it's day. way higher than any any supplement ever recommends. So when you even take it straight up in a capsule form, you're going to need like five or six capsules if it's a half gram capsule to get the effective dose to have any effect. Mm. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Some stuff that I do like, you know, um, everybody talks about green tea, and eh, not so much. It can help your. It's a good antioxidant, I guess, but. A couple of the cool ones out there that can have some different fat-burning data that are really cool are things that help brown uh, white adipose tissue. One of those is grains of paradise, mm-hmm. which is actually a really cool ingredient. It can help a key component. That can help, of course, your body burn fat more effectively. There's another one called mitoburn, which is a different type of acid. It's a newer ingredient from a company called NNB Nutrition. Shout out to Brett Nelson there. I'm working on a few things with that for a later potential release. It's a really cool ingredient. Similar mechanism. 
is going to help brown white adipose tissue um, into being easily, more easily burned, which is kind of badass. Um, what about Capsi Max, Drew? What about Capsi Max or Capsicin, which is like basically uh, peppers? Basically, it, helps, it increases your core temperature. So that can help in a way, of course, increase your fat oxidation as well and burning. Yep. So there's a lot of things out there that can help, of course, fat loss. Another one being synephrine, uh, of course. Uh, oh, let's touch on one here. Everybody, of course, knows the myth about ephedra. So, mm-hmm. the legend of ephedra before it got banned. The shit you buy these days is not the actual ephedra. Not it's, at all. it's a tea, basically. The original ephedra basically could increase your metabolism, if I'm not mistaken. So, if it's not even 100%, fuck, send me a message. At least I went from 3 to 4% above baseline, so it does help increase your metabolism. Clenbuterol, on the other hand, is basically a chemical version of ephedra. It helps your body, uh, well, it's a beta agonist mm-hmm. that can increase metabolism. It was a, developed direct originally as a cousin of albuterol, a uh, bronchodilator, but it also has a side effect, quote unquote, of increasing your metabolism from anywhere to 10 to 15%. That's a pretty big jump, and that's why clenbuterol is a research chemical. It's not a legal supplement to buy over the counter, but that's why that's used in that purpose. A good one I do like as well is Yohimbi, which is an alpha agonist. And in the case there, you have uh, something that works in synergy with, like, say, your ephedra clenbuterol. An alpha agonist, a beta agonist is kind of a two-pronged approach for eating fat loss. Yeah. Don't fuck with Clem. Just made this clear. That's not the point of this episode. And also, don't fucking inject carnitine if you manage your hands on it. Don't fuck yourself up. Correct. And uh, don't take too much Yohimbi either, because you can really, you, 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 you could fucking um, not enjoy that at all. Um, the last thing is like appetite suppressants. I know um, saffron is one that we, we, we start seeing more and more on. Um, dandelion root, is that a, an appetite suppressant or is that more of a, for glucose? Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's some other ingredients out there that, that we see um, that companies are using more and more of. Are there any appetite suppressant ingredients that you're a fan of? There's what you mentioned, saffron. There's a branded version of it called Satureal. It's mm-hmm. very expensive. I haven't used it in the product. It's kind of cool. Has some different data on it. Um, what was the other one? I made this fiber. I mean, uh, fiber is filling. Fiber is satiating. Protein is satiating. Mm-hmm. There's ingredients themselves that can actually have an effect in terms of suppressing appetite. Those are like the two things I recommend. Take your fiber in check. Get your protein check. But uh, the saffron extract is one cool one you see here and there. Um, the grapefruit another- isn't there a grapefruit extract as well that kind of keeps you fuller longer? Oh, I think African mango is one that's purportedly for that. Yeah. Crap, what? Uh, it's escaping. The name is the popular one. Um, not Jimena Sylvester. It's a. Uh, of course, I'm going to remember that for the episode. But it's yeah. kind of an older school ingredient. Oh, like raspberry ketones were another one. Remember all that crap <laughs> with the Dr. Oz thing? Yeah. Back in the GNC, I could always tell what Dr. Oz is pushing. I'd have people come in asking for shit all of a sudden. Like, oh, do you have, do you have a raspberry ketone? Do you have raspberry ketone? Do you have raspberry ketone? like, fuck. Then I hear, oh, Dr. Oz talked about raspberry ketones or fat loss. I'm like, God, it all makes sense. So Yeah, you, you can find the raspberry ketones right next to the CLA at CBS. Um, and they sell a shit ton of them. So I, I guess that, you know, as we, as we pull, pull this episode together here, there's no magic pill for bulking. There's no magic pill Forgot. for cutting. What's that? Forgot one key one. What? For aiding in fat loss, if you can get your cortisol under control, yeah. that's a key mechanism. And that one has very strong data. Phosphatidylserine. 800 milligrams of active material has really good data for reducing cortisol levels. Ashwagandha, such as KSM-66, is a fairly high dose, or I prefer Sensoril at 250 mg, or there's a new one called Shodan Ashwagandha, mm-hmm. all stress mitigation and lowering cortisol. 7-Keto is a form of DHEA. It has to be applied topically because orally it's not as bioavailable as it could be, so therefore you're better off there. You can pass it in a transdermal form. There's a few out there that could help with that. 
But those are some key things for controlling cortisol that does in fact help with fat loss. Because cortisol, if it is high, you're packing a lot of stimulants, a lot of stress, your body cortisol high, it's a stress hormone that tells your body to hold on to body fat. Yeah. If you get that in check, you can help with fat loss. That's probably the most important one of the episode, <laughs> to be completely honest with you, because there's so many external stressors in our lives today. We're go, 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 go. We're drinking cups of coffee like it's going out of biz- like crazy. So, I mean, we have a ton of stress on our systems, uh, and cortisol levels are high. Therefore, we're storing body fat, not being able to burn it quickly. So, Drew, Drew hit that one on the head for sure. Um, we have a full article over that FI on cortisol. Drew talks about cortisol levels all the time. Um, so, those are definitely things that you should implement into your world. You can even implement it into your world when you're bulking, too. I think on both sides of the things, you, you should have that. Um, keep your cortisol levels in check. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, there's no magic pill for bulking. There's no magic pill for cutting. Supplements are meant to be supplemented with Drew's favorite answer, eat real food um, and, and a training program. So it comes down to calories, surplus deficit in terms of the overall. That's your magic formula. Your, your caloric surplus, your caloric deficit is a magic formula for, for bulking and cutting. Um, but if you guys liked what you heard here on the episode, hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, on YouTube. You can follow Drew on his Insta, it's at Vanilla Grill. Drew, we're at Fitness Informant. We do have a Facebook page as well, the Iron Jungle Podcast. Drew, leave us with some advice as we leave us with some some advice that you're taking right now in your contest prep. What's the best advice that you can follow right now for yourself? If it jiggles, it's fat. If it jiggles, I like that. If it jiggles, it's fat. All right, everybody. Be- shut the fuck up and do your cardio. If you don't want to do your cardio, shut the fuck up and do your cardio.